Ritchie and Mendes from TSN 1200. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. going everybody welcome to the third line plug sensecast i am your host taylor gibson joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of calgary alberta my co-host tam jesse tim how's it going sir uh it's been going good been kind of weird and busy week though oh yeah what's been going on in calgary alberta this week so the listeners have probably immediately noticed that i am back to my tinny old self because that- uh the Yeti mic I bought was defective. Oh, that's shitty, dude. And I know because uh, you bought that, you used it last week, and, you know, the sound quality was pretty good outside of the tick, 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 tick of your uh, keyboard, but other than that, it was pretty good. Yeah, but it's under it was under Amazon's return and replace, so I just sent it back, and I'll be getting another one. Okay, what exactly happened to it? Was it just a uh, bad mic, or was something happened software-wise? So what they think happened to the microphone is uh, they sent me a bad cable. Okay. And uh, the cable sent the wrong amount of power to the microphone, scrambling the firmware. Oh, shit. Yeah, so the, basically what happened was uh, I woke up Friday morning to do a last bit of editing, realized I forgot to add a piece to something I was doing, tried to record, and I just sounded like dog shit. Oh, that's not good. So, oh. given that you were saying that you were doing a little bit of editing and sound like dog shit, now I understand that you were doing a little something this past Saturday, Tim. Now, would you like to talk about what you've been up to outside of the podcast? Yeah, well, it's another podcast, so uh, me and some friends with uh, the Calgary Vice Schwartz community, it's an anime trading card game, have started a podcast about the game, so uh, if you want to check that out, we are recording at wild wild weiss on spotify so just search that okay now do you guys have Our a first episode good is uh an interview with the anime evo champion also a guy from the calgary community uh that was a probably the only english major tournament we're gonna get this year so we got a half hour interview with him and we're gonna be having our next episode should be coming out whenever i get whenever i have time to finish editing it where we do a deep dive on some non-standard game modes. Excellent. Now, do you guys have any social media, any of that stuff that you want to plug to the listeners as well? Yeah, so uh, if you want to follow our blog, it's wildwildweiss.wordpress.com and our Twitter is at wildwildweiss and we play most weeks on Twitch, usually Thursdays, Fridays, sorry, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, Usually around uh, six six to seven PM on Twitch at Wild Wild Weiss. Fantastic, Tim. Fantastic. So but I'll talk. I also know how much goddamn work you put into editing now. Oh yes, yeah. But I mean, it's it's one thing when you're doing a half hour interview. It's different when you're cutting together an hour long, hour half, yeah. or in the case of our uh, play in round first round recap episode, it was close to two hours. Yeah, and I've learned a pretty hard and fast rule that, like, at least at my speed of editing, it's almost like each 15 minutes of audio is like an hour of editing, just to take out the ums and ahs, make sure that where you edited makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, I mean, you can teach that kind of stuff, but honestly, in my experience, you could only really get good at it by just doing it. You yeah, have to look exactly. at the you have to look at the raw file. You have to go through it and you have to edit it. <laughs> so I'll quickly talk a little bit about my week, Tim, because you know it's been a couple of weeks back. The kids are officially back. We're back into regular 
in the regular routine at work. So that's been pretty, pretty good. It has been a, a few hiccups now because how we're doing meal services now is that we have like plexiglass barriers around in our building. So it is kind of a pain in the ass when we're trying to hear a kid talk to us because they're wearing a mask, we're wearing a mask, and we also got plexiglass in front of us. So when there's a bunch of people in the room, I can't really hear them very well. So that was kind of a pain in the ass. And we actually did a Canadian Day meal last week. And and I think I talked about this on the podcast at this time last year. The one thing that I noticed is that the dinner service was just a whole hour of Drake. And well, listen, Again? I had no, I like I have nothing against Drake. Like I get that, you know, he claims that he started from the bottom, now he's here and his hot light bling and all that stuff. But the thing is, this year they actually changed it up a bit. So it has a nice little variety and there was some artists that, you know, I would have played. Most notably I would have played some Arkells Obviously, Monster Truck, they're clearly not going to play. Japan Droids, they're not going to play. There's a few Canadian artists I would have played. Like I said, the Arkells I would have played. Uh, Tegan and Sarah, they got some good stuff out there. Even uh, even some stuff from the 90s, like Our Lady Peace would be pretty good. The Watchmen would have been good. Uh, who else could they have gotten for that? Uh, oh, fuck, I'm drawing a blank right now. Honestly, you could have looked at some of those really early... Big Shiny Tune CDs to find some Canadian artists in there. But overall, I was very happy with the uh, music selection. The dinner service itself, it was a flank steak with poutine and ketchup chips. Actually, that sounds pretty good. Which is not bad, which is not bad. I mean, I'm... I don't know about you, and I, I'm kind of indifferent to poutine. Like, I, I've had it a couple of times. I would never go out of my way to order it. I had... Um. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Did you have any when you were in Ottawa? Like, uh, did you go over to the Gatineau side and get some? No, I never went into uh, Quebec when I was over there. The only thing I got when I was over there... Well, I mean, the beaver tail I got when I was on the canal. But other than that, no, I didn't go into, like, the Gatineau side of Ottawa. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Because I find that uh, very rarely do I get good poutine outside of Quebec. Yeah, is it just how they do it, or is it just... It's, like, how they do it... They usually actually have curds instead of, like, some other cheese pressed into a square. Yeah, because that's what we have. It, it It's like a rubbery cheese is what yeah. I... Yeah. It's all right. I think the reason why I'm, I'm kind of indifferent is because the cheese curds I've had are have never been melted. They just, they just taste like rubber. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, I know the last time that I went to Ottawa for work, it was, like, with my current team, and uh, it's majority Quebecois. So usually what they do, we do a group dinner, we usually end up on the Ottawa side. This time we went to a bar on the Quebec side, and the poutine was fantastic. Well, I always wonder, with the cheese curds itself, like, I'm guessing it obviously melts. It, it must depend on how hot the gravy is, correct? Hmm. And at what point the curds were added. Mm. Like, they're just kind of thrown willy-nilly on top. Uh, like lukewarm gravy yeah they're not gonna fucking melt yeah and i think that's where i've always had a problem with it is that the gravy is never hot enough and i understand like you don't want the gravy too hot because you run the risk of burning your mouth or you basically all you taste is heat you don't even taste the gravy yeah exactly it's a delicate balance actually one thing that was really cool uh when i was in ottawa living there was uh on Spark Street, they have a lot of food fests, and one of them was Putin Fest, and uh, you had a lot of different takes on it Yeah. from local vendors who then made street eats. And so they had their Putin wagons, and uh, it was really good stuff, and it was like uh, Putin Fest, uh, they did it in like February. So it was a nice hot meal to have on a cold day. I was just thinking about this right now because when I came to Calgary a few years ago to hang out with you and Chelsea, the Stampede, I can't remember. Did we have poutine there? I remember we had the a barbecue and the brisket, but I don't recall if we ever had a poutine there, the the Stampede. Um, I don't think we had. They probably sold it at the Stampede, but I, I don't think I bought it. Um, I know Burger 320 does a, a very good poutine. It got top marks from Pierre-Luc. Pierre-Luc? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. 
So, Tim, I'm just realizing now that we got to talk a little bit about today's episode because today's episode is the NHL playoffs on the Third Line Plug Sense Cast Conference Final Recap slash Stanley Cup Final Prediction. Did we really do a prediction for the Stanley Cup Final when we're two and a change game in? Yeah. Come on, Tim. It wouldn't be us if we didn't already give our prediction once the series started. You mean you didn't give us a handicap and still screw it up? No. <laughs> so, I'm just looking through. So, we got a couple of series we did to talk about. One thing that did come out of today, and we're going to... I think we should talk really, very quickly about this. So, the... 2020 NHL awards were announced today and I just I had a quick look over the the winners and I think there's a handful of them I think we should really talk about now obviously last time we were talking we already talked about Bobby Ryan winning the Masterson award so I know that we're not we're not gonna go through all of it but I do want to highlight a few of them Uh, one that was really surprising and I think to some people maybe not so much Kel McCarr winner of the Calder Trophy, Rookie of the Year. I honestly thought that Quinn Hughes was probably going to win it because Quinn Hughes, to me, seemed like the favorite, but it was either between him and Kale McCarr. So I'm not surprised that he won it. I don't know how you feel about Kale McCarr, Tim, but... Kale McCarr had a fantastic season this year as far as uh, rookie defensemen go, and uh, I could see the argument for Quinn Hughes, but I think Kale McCarr was just on a different level. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I was just thinking because with Quinn Hughes coming up, and I think because we saw how he played a little bit last year, and I don't think, I don't want to say he didn't get a ton of recognition, but I don't think that coming into this year, a lot of people realize how good he was going to be for the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, totally. So I don't, I don't mean that as a snub for uh, Quinn Hughes, but Kyle McCarr had a fantastic season. Absolutely. So, obviously, the big winner of the MVP awards, Leon Dreisaitl, won winners of the, both the Hart Trophy and the Ted Lindsay Award. I can't think of another guy this year that was as deserving for the MVP than him. Uh, Roman Yossi ended up winning the Norris Trophy. I'm, I have nothing against that. I thought it was a pretty good one. So, the no, one... I could see... I could see why there's controversy over this one with John Carlson scored 75 points, but... I think as far as, like, being an actual defenseman, Roman Yossi did a much better job with less to work with and still put up 65 points. Yeah, but you know what, Tim? The argument always goes back to... Even look at Eric Carlson. Remember the year that he had exactly a point per game and Drew Doughty won? I think this one's less bullshit than Drew Doughty. Drew Doughty had no business winning that award. Oh, I totally agree, but I always kind of think of it in that same vein where you have a guy that puts up such high, high offensive numbers and loses. Yeah. So, like, I definitely get why the controversy is there. I think at least this time, I think the hockey writers got it right because Roman Yossi, he was 10 points shy, but it was on a less offensively talented team, and Roman Yossi was much better at actual defense this than John Carlson was this year. So, I'm fine with it. This isn't the Drew Doughty year. Like, I don't think it's... I don't think that... He's not comparison should be made. That's fair. But I, I was just kind of thinking of it controversy-wise in that vein. So, oh, yeah. we'll uh, just gloss over a few. So, the winner of the Selkie Trophy went to Sean Couturier, the Philadelphia Flyers. The Lady Bing Trophy was Nathan McKinnon, who had 93 points in 69 games. And 12 penalty minutes. The Mark Messier NHL Leadership Award went to Calgary Flame Mark Giordano. Uh, let's see what else we got here. What even is the Messier Award? Like, um, the it, best... It's just a, it's a leadership award on and off the ice. Okay, so it's who's uh, the biggest bod. Yeah. But and again, the King Clancy Memorial Trophy is the exact same thing, which Matt Dumba won for his founding of the Hockey Alliance. Uh, I'm so sorry if I'm drawing a blank on their on their full name right now. Um, like the Diversity Alliance? Thank you. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. trying to think. Yeah, so I think that's a great one. So 
the three I really actually want to talk about real quickly, Sam. The Vesna Trophy went to Connor Hallebach, who went 31, 21, and 5 with a .922 save percentage. This one, I have no problem with. Because when you look at Connor Hallebach, he lost, he beat out Andre Vaskolevsky and Tuka Rask. But here's the thing, like, Hallebach, he was so much deserving because, honestly, he was one of the biggest reasons Winnipeg made the playoffs this year. You know, it's hard when you have Darcy Kemper in there as well, but I can see where the usual, your team has to make the playoffs. That argument is, comes in. It is true, but you know what? You look at all three of the teams. You look at the Lightning, the Bruins, and the Jets. And honestly, the Jets went through some diversity this year. You know, they lost Dustin Bufflin. That's a big one right there. Apologies to Adam if I'm getting this wrong. I think Patrick Laine was hurt or just didn't do much for all through the year for the Jets. So really, he had to stand on his head to play great. That That's no... That's not a shot at anybody else in the Jets, Tim. That's more, he really stood up and took that team into the playoffs. So the two other ones I actually want to talk about real quick. The Jack Adams Award and the Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award. So for the Jack Adams, Boston Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy won that with a 44-14-12 record. So I'm going to be the minority here Tim and I understand that he was a finalist two of the last three years for me I don't know if I would have picked Bruce Cassidy to be the winner because for my money the guy I would have picked is Barry Trotz when you look at Barry Trotz with the Islanders you're looking at a guy who they lost John Tavares and people left them for dead they were thinking, yep, this team is going nowhere. They're going to be rebuilding again. But through the power of having him and the next guy we're going to be talking about, they made that team buy into the system that they're building. So you have your Matt Barzells. You have your Jordan Eberle's. You have guys like that who were brought in or were already there, and they fully bought into the system. They brought in Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And look how far they went in the playoffs. I can see why Barry Trotz didn't get the nod this year if we are discounting the playoffs. Because that, the last week before the season ended, was bad for New York. But if we do include the playoffs, I'm right with you with Barry Trotz. I think Rick Bonus deserves consideration as well for what he was able to do with Dallas uh, coming in midseason, getting that team into good enough shape to win get a pretty comfortable playoff spot and then uh now they're in the stanley cup final yeah and like i said like this is not a shot at bruce cassidy and the guy did fantastic for the boston bruins given you know you had that first line of bergeron pasternak and brian marchand but just for my money i think that he really didn't he came into a year knowing his team was going to be great Barry Trotz didn't have that with the Islanders. He came into this year thinking, okay, we'll get into this year and we'll see what happens. Like, what do I have? Yeah. So... Yeah, no. Yeah. So it's like, there were a lot of very good coaches this year. There were. And Bruce Cassie, and I was actually reading about this earlier today when I saw the award. From what I understand, he is only the fourth Boston Bruins head coach to win it after, keep in mind... Claude Julien, Pat Burns, and a certain gentleman that we as Canadians have grew up knowing, Mr. Donald S. Cherry. That's actually really insane. Actually, you know what's really funny? When Don Cherry won for Coach of the Year, he went up in front of everybody and says, well, you know, in the history of winners, you know, there's been a lot of great men who've won late claim to this award, but I have to tell you, none of them are more deserving than me. <laughs> is that why he got banished to the AHL? No. No, no. This is what he was... Go- but I, I just think that's really funny, too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the last guy we're going to talk about, the Jim Gregory Jim of the Year Award. And talking about the New York Islanders, this year, it went to Lou Lamorello. I did not realize Lou Lamorello had never won this award before. 
when you look at his body of work since he joined the New Jersey Devils in 1987, you just look at what he's done. He took three franchises who were complete jokes and turned them into winners. The Devils, I mean, that's an odd, that's a pretty obvious one. Where What did he do? He joined the New Jersey Devils, who were considered a Mickey Mouse organization, brought in structure, he brought in discipline, and uh, yeah, the only willy-nilly won three Stanley Cups and became the team of the Eastern Conference to beat. Years later on, he joins the Leafs, who really had only made the playoffs once in 10 years. He drafted Austin Matthews, he brought in some other guys, they made the playoffs the next year. Now, of course, he didn't get the head GM job following Smugfuck Dubas taking it over, but you know what? That doesn't mean that he didn't go on to bigger and better things as he joined the New York Islanders, and he turned that team, who the year previous had Garth Snow as their GM and Doug Wade as their head coach, look where he's turned the New York Islanders into. He turned them back into a respectable franchise. And what's interesting is... The Islanders, they have pretty reasonable co- cost control over their main guys. Like, uh, you've got Anders Lee for five more years at $7 million, uh, Brock Nelson at five, four more years for six, Jordan Everlay for three more years at five and a half. The only thing that's really, like, their only really bad contract is the Andrew Ladd contract. And they still have $8 million. Most of that's probably going to be eaten by Matt Barzell. So... Islanders aren't actually in a bad place. They're not. And, of course, we can't forget that they locked up Jean-Gabriel Pajot to a six-year contract, which is, honestly, that's a pretty team-friendly contract if you really look at it, given that I imagine certain teams would have thrown six-plus million at him, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I honestly, I think uh, as far as GMing goes, the Islanders did a fantastic job. Uh, the Lightning, you have to credit the work that uh, Breeze Bois has done. Like, to get that sort of roster under the salary cap is insanity. It is, given that when Stevie Iserman left for Detroit, everybody just assumed that this guy was never, ever going to get that team under a cap. But the thing is, and I think one thing I really appreciate about Tampa Bay, Tim, is that you look at other teams in in our division, the Leafs, you know, where you have all that money tied up in three or four players, and so you're handcuffed to these guys. You can't really build around them. Tampa Bay doesn't have that. Like, yes, they're top guys. Like, they're Victor Hedmans, they're Andre Valeskis. Like, they're locked up big time. But not to a point where you're completely handcuffed. Well, they don't have a player over ten million. Yeah, and think of like think of the uh, Victor Hedman. How many teams do you think would throw ten million bucks at him to join their team? What about Andre Velasquezky? How many teams would throw all the money at him to come to their team? Well, to be fair, Tampa Bay threw all the money at him. Like nine point five for a starting goalie is a lot of money. But keep in mind. Bobrovsky's getting paid 10, and look how terrible he was last year. Oh, that's for sure. The hard thing for Tampa, obviously, is going to be getting that defense signed. Because they got $5 million and they need to get uh, Anthony Sorelli on a contract, Eric Cernak on a contract, Sir- Mikhail Sergachev on a contract. That's going to be tough. It will be. It will be. But you know what, though, Tim? I think that Tampa Bay... Tampa Bay will probably do it. It'll be very, very hard because the salary cap is not rising this year. But we'll have to keep an eye on that because they are in our division. And I think they're going to be a team that's going to be very interesting coming into the offseason to see what they actually do with their players. Yeah. One thing I do wonder is how many teams are going to, how many players are just going to take, will be forced to take like a team-friendly one-year contract just because so many teams are in cap help. That is true, unless you're Alex Petrangelo, who did the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I'm not coming back next year. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. So, Tim, I think that's pretty much all we can really say about the NHL awards for the 2020 season. 
which can mean only one thing. It's time to turn our attention over to the conference finals. So we're going to start off because we are based in the Western, in the West Coast, the Dallas Stars versus the Vegas Golden Knights. The Dallas Stars won this series in five games. Okay. This is a weird series. Why? Why is Vegas fans blaming Robin Leonard for this? He is 100% he is not to blame for this series. You know who is to blame for this series? Vegas' goal scoring (laughs) not even being around. But yes, Anton Goldobin did stone the Vegas school nights throughout that series. Yeah, like the hard thing is it's just Vegas generated a ton of shots. Just Anton Kubota stoned them. But one thing that I did have to mention about this series, this was boring as shit. You know what, Tim? And it's funny because I, I only watched game five of this series. And that was a one thing I actually noticed. It was a hard-hitting series for sure. But yeah, it wasn't the most exciting series. But you've got to factor that in because the Dallas Stars isn't exactly a very exciting team to watch. They definitely play a, not a trap style, but they play a very structured sort of game. And definitely having Anton Godolbin, who, like I said, the guy was just lights out for the Dallas Stars in the series, stoning Vegas with one shutout. And through five games, I don't believe, other than game one, he didn't have a save percentage under 940 for the series. Yeah, no, it was, like, Kubotin was lights out. But just one thing that, it, like, I don't know what the heck happened to uh, the Vegas offense, and I hope it's not a coaching adjustment that just kind of sapped their ability to score, like, trying to induce them to play more, like, heavier than they needed to. Because, like, one thing I noticed that Vegas was doing, and I don't get this for the life of me, is they really rode that Ryan Reeves line and got absolutely nothing for it. And it's frustrating to watch because you have these high-powered guys, and they're, like, they're snake-bitten for sure. Because, like, they're getting looks. They're getting, like, a lot of... They're getting crossbars. But the weird thing was is just both these teams, for whatever reason, they just decided that they just could not get into the slot for the life of them. Yeah, I mean, the only guy who consistently was in the slot throughout this series, and this is to nobody's surprise, was Mark Stone. Yeah, or Shea Theodore, the defenseman. Yeah, who, that's the one guy I've been very impressed with the Vegas Golden Knights, has been the play of Shea Theodore. And actually, Alec Martinez didn't have a, I don't want to say he had an overly terrible series, but I noticed him in that for sure. But there was one guy in particular outside of Anton Dolbin that I really want to talk about, and that's Jamie Benn. Because up front, out of like the big three of him, Tyler Sagan, and Alex Radulov, Jamie Benn for me was the one who came through the biggest for the Dallas Stars in this series. Now, of course, um, Radulov had that OT winner in game three, I believe. Game four? I think it's game three. Game three, yeah, because... Which, by the way, was that or was that not the best sound of the world? That ting and then it really was. It was a nice goal too. It is. I actually, I don't know about you, Tim. The one guy I was disappointed with in this series, and I didn't really notice him, was actually Tyler Sagan. Because when you look at his the score sheet, the first two games he had four shots for each, but it was like he either had two shots, one shot, or he went completely shut out throughout the game yeah frankly i'm surprised that the dallas stars were able to get away like with a series where two of their three top stars weren't really producing but then again vegas was incredibly snake bitten too yeah because there was, well, there was a lot of guys that didn't show up for death. vegas either Pardon? there was a lot of guys for vegas that didn't show up either i think uh, William Carlson, I didn't really notice him in that series. Stasny, I didn't notice. Pacioretty, I didn't notice. It was, and that's where you really need your depth guys to start scoring, and that's what the Dallas Stars had throughout this playoff run. Yeah, it's bizarre that I don't think it was really Vegas ran out of gas either, because most games they were buzzing and they really dominated the territory. 
it was just they really got nothing for it because their finishing was gone. And it was just really frustrating to watch because it was just you would get this nice setup play and then it would get like for whatever reason they just like they weren't even really finishing the plays off and I wonder if it was gripping the sticks too tight because of like this nice setup play and then they miss. It was just frustrating to watch and then all of a sudden it would be uh, there'd be stretches of the game where Vegas would just kind of disappear after they just threw everything at the goal. They couldn't get anything and then just the momentum would shift. So I think Anton Kubotin really stole the series here and if uh, Dallas somehow, like if Dallas wins the Stanley Cup, I think we will have a goalie as the playoff MVP. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's one of the things I wanted to say about Kadolbin was that, you know, with all the talk about Mira Heiskanen for the Dallas Stars being as lights out as he has, I was going to say after the Vegas series, I honestly wonder how many of the votes for the Conn Smythe now goes to him. If game one against uh, Tampa Bay is any indicator, a lot. So I do have a couple more notes I want to talk about this. And it doesn't really have to do with this series at all. It actually has to do with off the ice. Now, the one thing I've noticed about watching some of these games is that I know that Skip the Dishes does some ads with actor John Hamm, who's a diehard St. Louis Blues fan. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen the one where he's at home in the hockey chair and he's eating the eating wings and he goes... No oh, man, you know, eating these wings, it makes me feel like I'm hearing the one guy with the big head with the fucking... Yeah, yeah. He goes, hey, shoot me some wet wipes, baby. Boom. Woo! I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I find that so amusing every time I see that. Well, it's just so silly, right? And that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Which is funny because if you were to watch the show Mad Men, which he was starring in, I, I only saw the first season of that, and I think the reason I never continued is because... John Hamm is such a piece of shit in that show that he's one of these guys, like, it's not like in Breaking Bad with Walter White where, yeah, he is kind of a piece of shit, but he kind of has a reason for doing what he's doing. John Hamm, there's, like, no redeeming qualities to him in that sh- in that show. He's just straight across just a fucking scumbag. Well, that's kind of the point, right? It is kind of the point, but... I don't know, maybe for me, that just kind of put me off on the second season of for watching it. It was just like, yeah, I don't think I can go through another, I don't know how many, six six seasons or whatever the show is, of me just hating John Hamm. Honestly, fair. But it's just like, I don't know. I, I don't know why Matt, like, a lot of, like, those HBO-style shows have never really caught my attention, but I guess that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Also, I didn't realize Anton Kubotin's, like, 34. Yeah, actually, you know, actually, you want to know one thing I found really crazy, Tim, is that I was looking online with uh, Jarmo Kakalainen, the GM for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Two things I noticed since we talked last. Number one, he is now eligible to be a third line plug cover athlete because he's a former Ottawa Senator. <laughs> but two, shout out to our buddy Adam in Welland, Ontario. There is a Yarmo Kekalainen hockey card with him with the Senators that claims that he was born in Welland, Ontario. That's got a... Is that a typo, or...? 100%. It's gotta be. It's gotta be a typo, because he's not from Welland. He's from Finland. Yeah, I was like... What? Yeah. So the... Yeah, it's, uh, the other thing is, uh... Woden is... Or, sorry, UFA at the end of the season, so... He probably gets a nice kickback on a short contract for next year. Oh, 100%. Now, with Kadobin playing as great as he is, what does this mean for Ben Bishop? Because Ben Bishop was slated to be the number one guy, and then he goes down and Kadobin just... I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but he's really stepped it up, and he's, what, three wins away from the Stanley Cup now? Well... Ben Bishop has an NMC for the next two years. I imagine they probably do what St. Louis was hoping to have in Jake Allen and uh, Jordan Bennington with a solid 1A, 1B, but better. And, like, if those guys are playing 40 games each, that's going to be scary. That's true. 
So the one final comment I want to make on this series, and like I said, this is an off-ice thing. So I don't know if you saw this on Twitter or any of your social media accounts, Tim, was that, you know, you're noticing with teams getting knocked out of the, with teams getting knocked out of the playoffs is that you're starting to notice these reaction videos showing up on social media of the players coming home. So there was one of John Merle, who's defensive for the Vegas Golden Knights. He came home and he was in the garage and his three daughters ran up to him really excited. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, I got a bit teary-eyed when one of his daughters asked him if he won, only for him to respond with, no, but I'm home. Aww. And I was like, just start crying, like, oh, it's so beautiful. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on the Dallas-Vegas series before we head off to the New York Islanders-Tampa Bay Lightning series? Uh, no, I think uh, this was a weird enough, like, it's a weird series in the way that there's only so much to talk about it because it was just dull. Fair enough. The New York Islanders versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning rode the Lightning to six games and a trip to the Stanley Cup Finals. Game one. Eight to two Lightning. Damn. Like, that was just... This is what this Tampa Bay Lightning team is absolutely capable of. But credit to the New York Islanders. They did manage to put up a pretty good fight for the rest of the series. They did, and you know, and this is a series that, like, I'm not surprised Tampa Bay won this series because I picked them to win it, but there was a part of me that really, really hoped the New York Islanders were going to pull this off because, you know, you got to look at it this way. The Lightning may have shut down the Islanders' top guys, but like the Dallas Stars, they got depth goaltending, their goaltending was fantastic, and one thing I actually noticed about this series, Tim, is that it was kind of a chippy series, as one thing we didn't really notice about these playoffs were fights. And this series had a couple of fights in this series. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a suspension pretty early on in the series, if I remember correctly. Uh, Brain Point got injured. Like, it was a rough series. That's true. And talking about Jean-Gabriel Pajot, is that I noticed in Game 3 on the empty net when, I can't remember the defensive for the Lightning, was hacking and whacking him, and then he just fucking two-handed him across the ankle when he scored. Pajot yeah. was ready to fucking scrap with him at that point. He was just like, no, I've had enough. And it's funny, I was uh, talking with one of the teachers uh, at the school, because he, he grew up in New York, and he's a big Islanders fan. I said to him, I said, you know what's funny about Pajot? A lot of people don't realize that about Pajot, is that he is kind of a spark plug if you piss him off. Oh, yeah. I'm a little surprised that we didn't get the Pajot hat trick. At all. Like, the dude's clutch. But, uh, no, I think they got a lot out of Pajot. One thing that I did find really surprising, and I think part of this is because the Tampa Bay is missing Steven Stamkos, is they are continuing to go with their their 11-7 and including Luke Shen in the lineup. Oh, the old, old good old Guy Boucher system. Yeah, well, if that wins a Stanley Cup. Oh, God. Oh, my God, can you imagine? We'll never hear the end of it. But, honestly, though, uh, credit to... One thing that the New York Islanders were very good at was... Well, both teams, actually, were really good at just getting in close like there were a lot of great chances just right up tight to the goal there was and then actually in the one thing in this series that i actually noticed was that there was a lot of funny bounces that went for both teams but one play or yeah one play in particular i do want to highlight kucherov's goal in the final seconds of that second game if there was ever a backbreaker for a team that was it uh, it's either that or, uh, and I, or, uh, I want to say it was game two or three. No, I think it is game two. Is the one where the Islanders scored two quick goals and then, uh, Tampa Bay scored three. 
and that was just the game no that was uh, yeah that was game two because oh, uh, game two, yeah, yeah. Kucherov uh, potted the third in the final seconds right yeah uh, actually game three I actually wanted to talk about a little bit because and I, like I said I was talking to one of the teachers who works at the school and he and I were talking about game three and he said you know one thing he was very impressed with the New York Islanders is that they have a never give up, never say die attitude, kind of like the 2017 Senators did. And Game Three was a really gutsy win for the for the New York Islanders. Yeah, and one thing that's just really interesting about that win is uh, New York. The Islanders actually did pretty well when they managed to get away from uh, Kucherov, but. It's just one thing you notice is the Islanders could not keep up with the Kucherov line, but credit to them for just, like, eating the good rope, like, the Yanni Gord line alive and just victimizing them. Like, take them where you can get them. So, I don't know about you, Tim, but I don't have any more comments to make of this series if you want to start talking about the Stanley Cup Finals. One thing I've noticed with the Tampa Bay Lightning this season... Though is like they they have this like the star start roster uh, head like their stars have come to play especially Victor Hedman like uh, Victor Hedman is an elite company now I think uh, with nine goals in the playoffs he is tied for fourth all time with uh, Paul Coffey leading the way at eleven so Victor Hedman could be making history here and like he's been fantastic like watching him like. Watching him play, watching Sergachev play has just been fantastic. Uh, just the smooth skating, smooth passing—it's it's been a dream to watch. So Tim, six weeks and how many games later we have finally arrived? The Dallas Stars versus the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup Finals. Okay. I'm going to take a minute here to talk about Dallas. Now you understand, now you know of the meme where it says, nobody, nobody ever, nobody in the history of ever, the hockey gods, Dallas is worthy this year. There is not a single person when these playoffs started, when this season started, that would have said the Dallas Stars would be in the Stanley Cup Finals. Well, remember that Dallas went through a coaching change this year. Wasn't like, it, I was going to say, wasn't this the year, Tim, where, you know, there was some bullshit at the beginning of the year where between Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and management? It was, I think, at the start of 20... I can't remember if it was, like, January 1st, 2019 or the beginning of this season, where management's just like, why aren't they playing like their old selves? They're 30. Oh, God. Like, think about that. If anybody was to say the Dallas Stars were going to make the Stanley Cup Finals, you wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it. Nobody would have believed it. Well, think about the other teams in the West. Like, to be fair, Colorado got hit by the injury bug so hard. Vegas just kind of died. Then again, like, what other teams really are there in the West? Like, Calgary is kind of on the cusp uh, of maybe needing to retool or rebuild. Vancouver is, they should be on the upswing, but they've got, they need to clean up some cap. Edmonton, that's, that's a thing that happened. Yeah, it's just like Devin, Alberta, Tim. It's a thing and a place that exists. Yeah. So it's like, the more you think about it, just like, and then uh, St. Louis, the goaltending ex- just fell apart fell by the wayside. Yeah. But you know what, Tim? And this is, I actually want to quickly mention this because, you know, I was thinking about this today when um, I was putting this together. You know, and we, t- and as hockey fans, we always talk about how the NHL playoffs out of the big four North American sports leagues is always the best. Because, for one reason, how unpredictable it can be. Now, I understand that some people may scoff at the term, get in the playoffs, and anything can happen. The NHL, over the past three seasons, 
That has been the slogan, that has been the mantra, and that has been the motto of these playoffs. And it's been the outcome, too. Well, think of it. 2018. You think of the Washington Capitals after years and years and years of shit in the bed. They win the Versus Stanley Cup. Vegas in their first goddamn season. Yep. You look in 1819, the St. Louis Blues, who were dead last January 2nd, won the Stanley Cup five months later. Versus a team in the Boston Bruins that in the East, everybody had predicted they were going to take it. And now you come to this year where, like the Washington Capitals, after years and years and years of shit in the bed, never living up to expectations, the Dallas Stars are three wins away from their second Stanley Cup. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, who one year ago won 62 games, got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, they come back, they steamroll through everybody, and now they're in the finals. It is. And you know, because, I mean, look at the other leagues. The NBA is not like that. Because what? The NBA, you have, what, three super teams who wins it every year? Well, except for the Raptors last year. Well, the Raptors were one of the super teams last year. They weren't. That's the funny. The Raptors were a great team, but I don't think anybody thought they were a super team. Because the super teams were LeBron and the Cavaliers. No, it would be LeBron and the Golden State Warriors. Sorry. And then the Raptors come along and they're just like, oh, that's a nice little NBA Finals trophy you got there. It would be a shame if we were to go ahead and just beat you and take it from you. Well, to be fair, at the same time, to look at the kind of the team that the Raptors had that year, like you had Kawhi Leonard, uh, Pascal Seacam, and Fred Van Beat took, sorry, Fred Van Beat took massive steps forward. Yep. Uh, and then you got Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry proved that, yeah, he could play away. Like, yeah, he could still play without DeMar DeRozan. And Sergei Ibaka decides, I'm going to be a player this year. So it's like that Raptors team was both in on paper and in practice a very, very talented team. Like, I would even put them on par with uh, Golden State if they were a little more healthy. Yeah, that's true. That is the best fair. But, but this is why for me, Tim, and this is why I will I will never understand people who say they can't get into the NHL. I understand that, yeah, if you're, you know, say in the United States who grew up watching football or basketball or, you know, baseball, I guess. The NHL, if you were not born into it if you're not exposed to it at an early age it's kind of hard to get into it but i think this is why for me if i was to show somebody who never watched hockey before i would show him the last three years of the playoffs because this has just been amazing it's well, been think... it's been amazing for the sport it's been amazing for the league but more importantly it's been amazing for the fans because of how unpredictable it's been yeah well, the thing is, we get these crazy stories, and that helps us sell the sport to people who didn't grow up with it. It helps us bring people in. Yep. And uh, I think we need to be doing a lot more of that. I think so. But you know what? And even actually going another year back, the 2017 playoffs. Think the Senators. The Senators were the Cinderella team. And sadly, we didn't make the playoffs. But who did? The team that before this year when the Dallas Stars made the finals, were the biggest choker in the Western Conference, the Nashville Predators. All that talent they had, they could never get out of that Western Conference. In fairness, they went up against Chicago, they went up against LA, they went up against teams like that, but they finally got to the finals. Yeah. And it's it's a really good story, too. It is, because... You know, you have, you know, you your uh, your gritty vets like your Mike Fishers. You have your, 
flamboyant superstars like your P.K. Subans. You have your studs like your Roman Yossi's, your Pecoranes, guys like that. However, they ran up against Sidney Crosby. Yeah, and even the year before that, talking another group of perennial chokers, the San Jose Sharks, finally got to the dance. Yeah. Like, I think the last time we had kind of a boring, predictable Stanley Cup final would have been uh, 2015 when it was uh, the Lightning versus Chicago. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. And even before that, like the year that LA won their Stanley Cup, they were eighth, took down the first seed Vancouver Canucks, and then just cruised the rest of the way. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing for us hockey fans who we've, you know, and I had to say because for the last decade or so, like, kind of like the NBA, you, you always have your two or three teams that win the cup or win a championship every year. And for us, you know, you went from having Dallas, Colorado, Detroit, New Jersey, you come into a new era where now you have Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Boston. And then, and the fact that there's only been one repeat in that era really speaks to what the league has been able to build. Yep, and there hasn't been a three-peat since the 80s, since the New York and, Islanders did it in the early 80s. And think about, like, some of those, like, the Chicago team that won. You had a Chicago, like, in 2010, you had two literal who goalies in, uh, Michael Lawton and <laughs> I'm blanking on uh, Anti Niemi. Niemi, Anti Niemi. Yep. Who then went to San Jose and almost went back to the Stanley Cup Finals with the Sharks the next year. Yeah. Yeah. So let's actually talk about the finals for a little bit, Tim, because my prediction for this series, I'm going to go ahead and say the Dallas Stars are going to win this series in five games for two reasons. Number one, Jamie Benn is from Victoria. So which means if he wins the Stanley Cup, we get a socially distanced Stanley Cup parade in Victoria. Oh. But two, I don't know if you've uh, kind of noticed there's been some chatter on social media. There's the term death by Pantera has come up for the Dallas Stars. Because yes. the Dallas Stars goal song was written by the band Pantera. Sick. And there's a very funny story about that where, like, the Stars were actually good buddies with Vinnie Paul and those guys. And in 1999, when Dallas won the Cup, they went over to uh, Vinnie Paul's house for a big party after they won. Vinnie had the Stanley Cup on the roof, but he accidentally dropped it and dented it. <laughs> it bounced off the pool. And, you know, and I was thinking about this today because I was listening to a lot of Pantera recently. And, you know, since their Stanley Cup win in 1999, you've got to look at what exactly has happened since then. Especially with the band Pantera because the band broke up, Dimebag Daryl got murdered, and Vinnie Paul passed away. So you have all of that since the Dallas Stars won the Stanley Cup in 1999. Now, for the Tampa Bay Lightning... They have been using the song Ride the Lightning by Metallica. I mean, it's an easy, it's easy. It's cheap and easy, even though, you know, it makes no sense because Metallica's from the Bay, which is where the Sharks play, and James Hetfield lives in Colorado where the Avalanche play. But, you know, it's one of those cool things that, you know, basically it's now Death by Pantera or Ride the Lightning. That's the mantra. This is the motto for the series right there. Yeah. I don't know, I'm trying to think of, like, I'm not as familiar with music, but there's got to be something from, like, the Tampa Bay. I know Limp Biscuits from Florida. Yeah, they're from Jacksonville. Oh, they're from Jacksonville. Well, I guess Jacksonville is closer to uh, Tampa than it is to Sunrise, uh, Miami, so they could probably use, like, roll and roll and roll. <laughs> they could have, which which I'm going to go ahead and defend. It's actually not as bad as a song as you think. 
I always tell people who may not like Limp Bizkit, I say, you know what? Listen to the instrumental tracks of those songs. If you were to, okay. if you were to take away Fred Durst out of that, Limp Bizkit is very talented. Oh, that's like one of the things I... Like, I'm not really a new metal guy, but like a lot of the... If you remove some of like, the low-quality rap, some of the instrumentation there is very good like i would say papa roach kind of falls into that as well i would say that yeah definitely their first record which it, it had some songs on there which has not aged very well like i don't think last resort has aged ex- extremely well um broken home at times doesn't really hold up lyrically um i feel the same way about link uh limp Bizkit, lincoln park lincoln park i think lincoln, lincoln park's a band that really their music hasn't exactly held up as well as you might think um I was never a Linkin Park guy, but I remember like a, like some of the guitar work on it being solid. Mm-hmm. I just never cared for the lyrics. That is true, especially crawling. You know, crawling uh, in my skin. Well, it's funny Man. because like they really kind of are just kind of definitely in the middle of that gradient from like new like uh, from new metal to screamo to emo. Yeah, I would have totally agree with that, Tim. I mean, and I'm, I'm not a pop punk guy either, and I'd probably say I'm less of a pop punk guy than I was a new metal guy. Yeah, but there was some pop punk stuff that is so kind of it's so stupid that you just you can't uh, you can't help but kind of like in a weird way, like some of Blink One Eighty Two stuff, which I think is so fucking stupid at times. But they're like, okay, whatever. Green Day, I don't think had that. Green Day was more of a snotty pop punk band, which I know yeah. pe- people can kind of take or leave. Yeah, I never really got. I don't care for Green Day like at all. But then I guess I never really got into that garage punk sound either. No, especially like their really early stuff too. It's it's not that great. No, and then like their more commercial appeal stuff is. It's definitely more mainstream. Like, it's almost, like, pop rock more than pop punk. Yeah, I could totally see that. I could see that. I Speaking of Florida bands, I'm just trying to think who Tampa Bay you can get for that. Um, no, no, we're taking Durstless Limp Biscuit. Okay, yeah, Durstless Limp Biscuit. Hell yeah. Perfect. Okay, so let's talk about this series. Now, the reason why I'm picking Tampa Bay, not Tampa Bay, Dallas in this series, Tim, is, like, what I've been talking about. They've got strong goaltending. Their depth scoring has been huge. And one thing that... Actually, Urinating Tree on YouTube actually brought this up when he was doing his uh, Hater's Guide to the Stanley Cup Finals. He says that one thing that Dallas has done extremely well, they've been able to shut down the other team's top guys for two series. Yeah. And while Tampa Bay overall on paper is way stronger as a team... The one thing for me, Tampa Bay will have to find a way to break through Dallas's defensive attack. Mm-hmm. Although, the third period of game one showed that Tampa Bay could just run a period. Like, that third period was an absolute clinic. With uh, Tampa Bay getting almost a game's worth of shots in one period. And they were from good places. So it's like Tampa Bay has the skill to just completely dominate this series. And uh, they're up 3 nothing after the first. Uh, where they got a 14-shot first period. Yeah, it's currently halfway through the second period right now. Yeah, so oh, it's I like see. Tampa Bay has... They absolutely have the ability to crack this series open. On Dallas, it's up to Dallas to... I to stop the the onslaught because unless like I think both Kubotin and Vasilevsky have the ability to stand on their heads for extended periods of time, you do not want to test it against this Tampa Bay Lightning team. No, because we're talking about a goalie who stood tall for five overtimes. That is true, but also you got to realize that Tampa Bay's depth is so strong; it's more of a you know, yeah, you can stop, you know, your Kucherovs, but can you stop 
you know, Andre Pavlik? Can you stop Braden Point? Can you stop Victor Hedman? Can you stop Tyler Johnson? Can you stop Gaddy Gord? Yeah. Can like, you... It's just wave after wave of onslaught. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's not like you're going up a team filled with Luke Shens. No. Actually, the fact that there is room for Luke Shen on this team says so much. It's so weird that he's actually still in the NHL. I know we've talked about that in the past, Tim, but still. He's going to win a Stanley Cup. But, like, I think this this series is probably going to be a knife. I think this series is going to be hard fought just because the goaltending quality and just the systems play. Like, John Cooper and... Uh, Rick Bonas are both excellent coaches. Fence for both teams are very... They've been shown to be good. Like, Klinkberg and Heiskanen... Like, like sorry, Lindell, Klinkberg, Heiskanen, Elysiak, Sekera, and Hanley is a very good defensive core. And, obviously, Hedman, Shatkirk, Sergeyev, Cernak, McDonough, Bogosian, Shen is incredible. Like, these are two teams that they are going to really have challenge. Like, they're going to be able to really play hard against each other. I think Tampa Bay takes this, but I want to say this one goes to seven. This is going to be a good series. Okay, so I'm saying Dallas in five, and you're going to go Tampa Bay in seven. Yeah, like, I think uh, I think Tampa has the ability to just crack open this series for periods at a time. But I think it's going to be long and hard. I think it's going to be a good one. Tell the only question I got to ask, Tim... Relating to this series. So the next time that you and I get together to do our recap of the Stalkin Finals, are you thinking maybe there should be a musical montage of Death by Pantera and Durstless Limp Biscuit? Perhaps. And at the same time, maybe we need a montage set to the Benny Hill theme of all of our predictions. Ooh, that could be a good one. That could be a good Just- one, Tim. Yeah, because, man, we did not do a good job. No, but you know what? This is why we're not experts, Tim. That's why I don't put money down on this. It's true, you know, like, because... Oh, to anyone listening, do not put money down on this. Unless you want to be like Marge Simpson and just put a bet down that you think that both teams are going to have a fun time. (laughs) That's going to be my bet in line going forward. Excellent. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this series if you just want to head off into the close for another Sounds evening. Good. I do. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 of Honey Badger, and I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8. W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our conference finals recap or our prediction to the Stanley Cup finals, shoot us an email, thirdlegplugsenscast at gmail.com. And also for our listeners who are listening on iTunes, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Oh, yeah, I forgot we had that. Yeah. Or uh, if you're uh, one of our good buddies from Port Huron, Michigan, give us two of them. Yeah? Yo, are we going to do Third Line Plug Fest in Port Huron someday? Fuck, I think we might have to do a live show or something there. Yeah, I'd, I'd do 3L. What would 3LP live look like? Uh, I don't know. I think it would just be you and I sitting at a desk talking. That sounds awful. It does, but then again, you know... People pay good money to watch people on Twitch, so. Yeah, but that's not us. Yet. Yeah. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jackson. Go, Sands, guys. <laughs> <laughs>